it was hard. It was very hard. I mean, like I went from living this like high intensity all the time, go, go, go to my body literally being like, we are not going anymore, but we are also going to feel like 24 seven, we are being chased by the largest bear you've ever seen. And you're just going to be okay with it. You're going to be okay with gasping for air because that was how my body responded. Welcome to a Healthy Push Podcast. I'm Shannon Jackson, former anxiety sufferer turned adventure mom and anxiety recovery coach. I struggled with anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia for 15 years. And now I help people to push past the stuff that I used to struggle with. Each week, I'll be sharing real and honest conversations along with actionable and practical steps that you can take to help you push past your anxious thoughts, the symptoms, panic, and fears. Welcome. You're right where you're meant to be. Carly, welcome to A Healthy Push Podcast. I am so happy that you've agreed to join me, and I can't wait to dive into our conversation about high-functioning anxiety and perfectionism. But before we do, can you start by just giving us an intro to who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Shannon. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat a little bit about high-functioning anxiety because it just... it held on to so much of my life for so long. So I'm excited to chat a little bit about it and my experience with it. But my name's Carly. Um, I am the voice behind Healing the Anxious Mind on Instagram. And I also, in my spare time, I always like to say, though I don't have much of that, um, I am a second year medical student here in Canada. Um, So I'm studying to hopefully be a future OBGYN. So that's my goal. Uh, So I'm doing both of those right now, and I'm absolutely loving every minute of it. That is so, so cool. I did not know that about you. And this is really funny. I am actually a practice manager of an OBGYN practice. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, this is really ironic and funny. So yeah, I've been in the healthcare field for like 16 years and I landed myself. I had worked in OBGYN before and I loved it and I got back into it and it's an amazing field to work in. So that's awesome. Good for you. All right. So let's dive in. I know that you had a personal experience with high functioning anxiety. So I'd love to hear from your perspective. What did that look like for you? Yeah. So this is sort of the funny thing for me about high functioning anxiety. And I think the funny thing for so many other people is that I looked normal. I looked like I had everything all together all the time. (laughs) So like I, and I still sort of fight some of these thoughts now. So realistically, when you looked at me from the outside, I was volunteering at 10 different places. I was doing research. I was throwing, like getting A's in school. I was doing all of these things and I was doing them very well. I was like showing up for my friendship, showing up for my partner, showing up for everything all the time. And like to the point where it was just like, I thought this was normal. Like I truly had no idea what high functioning anxiety was. And for me, it truly looked like, so from the outside, it looked great. It was like, oh wow, look at that. Like, you know, you got it all together. And truly like, it looked like I did. And I honestly, sometimes my ego was like, oh yeah, we have this all together. And then I was like, does everyone worry all the time that their worth is tied to their productivity? Like, does everyone worry all the time that like I am ascribed based off of what I do and perform, but then that's how I see myself. Like I'm just like this working machine 24 seven. And that's sort of how I felt. I started to have difficulty sleeping. I was 
drinking probably five or six cups of caffeine a day because I was staying up late. My partner is a night owl. I am not a night owl. And we were early on in our relationship. And I was like, well, I'm going to stay up till 3 a.m. with him. Terrible idea when I worked at seven. But you know what? It was just the way it was. And I just didn't really think anything of it. I like to say it was in my youth. (laughs) Although I am currently just about to turn 27, my youth was like 22 to 24 was where that youth thing where I was like, I feel unstoppable. And then one day when I was 24, I no longer felt unstoppable and I hit a very large wall of burnout. (laughs) And that's where this entire journey truly started for me. That was the difficult thing for me with high functioning anxiety was I never actually knew it was high functioning anxiety until I burnt out and started experiencing panic and anxiety to reflect back on what I was doing. And I was like, oh, that wasn't the healthiest choice for me. But I didn't know that. I just thought this was a regular thing. Yeah. And I think that's so many people's experiences, right? So Mm -hmm. I would love to hear to help put things into perspective. Like what were you doing at that time when you were struggling with high functioning anxiety? It sounds like maybe you were in school and also volunteering. Were you working? Like what did it look like? Yeah. So I sort of was doing a, a bit of everything. So I was doing a research project at the time. I was volunteering in the hospital at a women's shelter. I was volunteering at St. John Ambulance doing first aid and medical first responder stuff. I was on the weekends doing concerts and doing CPR and first aid at concerts. So I was in this like high stress state all the time. And I just thought that was normal. Even when I would have time off. So I was pursuing my undergraduate degree at the time as well. And I was finishing that up. And then when I stopped doing that, I actually very quickly got a job as I was a kinesiologist and I helped run a small business. So I took on an entire small business with every aspect of it, except for payroll, really just like getting clients, doing all this advertising while I was volunteering, while I was doing everything else. And for me, I just thought that was normal. And unfortunately, especially here in Canada, getting into medicine is very competitive. And I'm not saying that I did anything right? Because when I look back, I'm like, well, I mean, I got into medicine, which was great, but I don't know if I needed to sacrifice myself for it. And I reflect on that now, but it is very competitive. And I've talked to a lot of my colleagues who are also in my program now. And a lot of us felt that pressure then that high functioning anxiety that we never truly realized we had until we got in. And then we were like, oh, people don't do this. Like I only learned that I had high functioning anxiety after experiencing anxiety and starting to heal from that and being like, oh, this is interesting. But yes, everything was off. Like my sleep schedule was off. I was over-exercising at the time. So I would be exercising to de-stress, but I do like a super high intensity workout. And then that just adds to that nervous system activation that I had going and it just kept feeding it. And even when I had time off, I'd like busy myself with like, oh, I'm going to do this craft or I'm going to make this and I'm going to do that. And it was just, it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the exercising component, right, is probably really familiar to a lot of people because we get this Mm. messaging surrounding, you have to move your body. It's healthy for your mind, right? But there's like a certain extent where it's too much. And like, that's not the the intention of moving your body is to not like, you know, force it to do things until you feel like you're going to throw up. Like <laughs> that's not what the, what it's meant for. Um, but yes. I'm really curious. You said something um, initially about the, your thoughts. What were the type of thoughts that you had? Because you said you, you had, you know, certain kinds of thoughts and you didn't know that other people struggled with those sort of things. What were those thoughts that you struggled with? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it for me at that time was that perfectionism, high functioning anxiety interplay of ascribing my worth based off of everything I was doing. So if I didn't get an A or I didn't get the best grade or I didn't get the best praise, I was trash and I wasn't good enough. And it was very all or nothing. It was very much like I was either amazing and great, which realistically I never was because I always put these expectations on myself that were so high that I could never, like, I could never meet them really. Like one time I had like a big research presentation and I was doing two sets of research at the time. So everyone usually does one poster presentation. I decided to do two because perfectionism was just ruling my life. And I was like, I'm going to do two. And then I also won an award for one of them. And I was disappointed that the other one didn't win me an award. I literally was sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm worthless. And like that day had also gotten my period. So like I was just discombobulated to the nth degree. But I truly thought that I had failed because I didn't get as much praise on the other one, though the day was wonderful. I got to share research that I was super passionate about. And like, it was great looking back on it. It was a wonderful day. My boss came, my partner came, like this was the first time a lot of them had met some of the academics that I was working with. Like it was lovely, except for the fact that my perfectionism brain was so stuck in that all or nothing. These are the expectations that I set. You truly can't meet them. Like I was setting expectations for myself that just weren't attainable. They weren't smart. They weren't, we always talk about smart goals. They were not smart. They were dumb goals because they just weren't, they weren't good. They were just so unattainable. And then I would focus on whatever I didn't get done rather than what I did. And I just thought everyone lived like that. I just thought everyone was super stressed out and all the time. And like my partner's like a chill cucumber. And I just like, I look at him and I'm like, why don't you care? Why aren't you angry at this person on the road? And that's where I started to notice things started to go out of hand where it was like, I was angry at everyone. Like everything caused irritability in my life. And I didn't really realize why until now. Yeah. Don't you love that? I'm also paired with somebody who is very chill, like super chill. And he'll look at me sometimes and be like, why? Why does this even matter to you? And and I was the same way. I mean, in college, I remember feeling like I have to get the 4.0. If I don't get the 4.0, there's no point. Like, why am I Mm -hmm. doing this? And my whole thought process, I mean, like you're saying, you literally drive yourself to the point where you're so stressed, you're so burnt out. And then I don't know about you and and I want you to talk about this. I finally hit a point where I hit a wall and I was doing all the things like you said, I was not getting good sleep. I was exercising a lot. I also um, consumed a whole ton of alcohol, um, Mm. all in attempt to help to balance everything out. And when you're so in it, you just like keep spinning, you keep going. And same, same for you with me. I felt like my worth was based on my accomplishments and my accolades. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had something to prove. Um, And of course it just severely, severely negatively impacted my mental health. So what, what did that look like to you? Like, how did you know and like arrive at the knowledge that you were actually struggling with high functioning anxiety? Yeah, I resonate so much with what you shared, Shannon, because like, for me, it was really hitting the wall that made me recognize that I was living that life. And I didn't realize that that was the case. But truly, it took a panic attack to even start to think because so far in my life, especially with, you know, I was 24 at the time in going into my life, like I truly was just like, I'm invincible. Like what is mental health? Like I knew that it was a thing 
but truly I did not know what it truly was. One of my, my close friends at the time was dealing with um, like anxiety and panic and that experience for her. And I truly, I sat there and I listened to her and I look back on this now and I listened to her and I was supportive to her, but I had no idea. I didn't know what to do because I was like, I have never experienced this before. And I'm not saying that you have to experience it to be a good supporter for somebody, but being so young and being so naive, I had absolutely no idea. I was like, listening, I'm like, I, like, what can I do to help you? Because I was like, obviously very empathetic toward her, but I didn't know what to tap into. I didn't have any experience that I could even relate to that would connect me on the level that she was experiencing. And then I hit this wall of burnout. And then I was like, ah, yes. I mean, this, this, this shook my life. Truly. It, it shook everything underneath the surface to the point where it was, it was hard. It was very hard. I mean, like I went from living this like high intensity all the time, go, go, go to my body, literally being like, we are not going anymore, but we are also going to feel like 24 seven, we are being chased by the largest bear you've ever seen. And you're just going to be okay with it. You're going to be okay with gasping for air because that was how my body responded. Or, you know, I couldn't even go to the gym. The thought of the gym and my heart rate elevating just sent me into some weird spiral of like, Oh, no, this is not good. And, you know, coming from a physiology background, logically, I knew wholeheartedly that this wasn't going to hurt me. Like I knew wholeheartedly that it was just my heart beating. Like anyone truly can pay attention to their heart beating if you focus hard enough. And my, I was just so hyper vigilant. All the things that were in the background just came right to the forefront for me. And I truly, like I knew it wasn't going to hurt me logically, but that did not stop those anxious thoughts from coming into my mind and starting to truly take over my life for many months, I just let it rule me because I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to fix it. And everything I wanted to do was just a quick fix. Everything I wanted to do was like, I'll go to one therapy session. And if they don't fix me by then, well, no more therapy for me, (laughs) or whatever it was, I was like, Oh, okay, I'll try like, I tried everything like essential oil, CBD oil, like therapy, Um, I chatted to my doctor about potentially trying medication. Like I did all the things because I was like, just find me something that makes me not feel this way anymore. And didn't work that way. Um, but that's okay because we learned that it didn't work that way. Right. I think it's so, so I would love for you to share like what that first panic attack looked like, because I know so many can relate to your story and what you're saying, where you get to a point where you hit a wall and then you experience your first panic attack. And like you said, coming from a health and physiology background, you know, like, (laughs) and and even people now, you know, people in my community, I'm sure in yours will say, I know that it can't hurt me, but it feels so dangerous. So what did that first panic attack look like for you? Yeah, it was so interesting because I think for me, so I was working, of course I was working. Um, (laughs) So I was on camera. It was like, or I wasn't on camera. I was actually off camera, but I was in, I teach uh, MCAT prep online because that was one of the jobs that I pursued. Oh yes, that was my other job. I had a few jobs at the time. (laughs) I forget now because I don't do many of those things anymore, but I was working. I was on my computer doing my thing. And then I just sort of felt this, like I'd just eaten. I again, got very little sleep. I literally chased a nap with pre-workout. I was like, I'm going to have some caffeine and then go have a nap because that seemed to be what worked. Like if I had a headache or something, that was just what worked for me. And like, I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was fine. Um, Because invincible 24 year old Carly was like, we can do it all. (laughs) Um, 
we, we could not do it all, but like in the best way possible, because now all that I do aligns very nicely with me and I love it. But that first panic attack, I was sitting, I was doing this. I'd just eaten dinner. There was nothing wrong. Like nothing was like, some, some people sort of have this belief that like a panic attack has to come from like a true, like something happening, like something mm-hmm. has to happen. And like, there's like this true, like clear trigger. It was literally nothing for me. I was literally sitting there and I was like, I don't feel well. So in the past, I think I'd had what I would quantify as a panic attack when I ate a lot of food. This was like in the months prior and it only happened like twice. But I thought at the time I labeled it as like, oh, I've just eaten too much. And I felt a little bit sweaty and I felt really unwell. And it always happened when I ate too much. So I never really concerned myself with it. Um, so I just never thought it was panic. And like, it was almost good at that time that I didn't label it as such, because this time I was like, this is a panic attack. This is exactly what this is. Cause I knew from my friend who'd shared with me her experience that like, this is probably what this is. Like, this is panic. And then immediately it just spiraled into like, oh my God, this is panic. And then it went from like tightness in my chest to like, my heart was beating out of my chest. My mouth was so dry. I didn't have any saliva. And for me, a lot of my symptoms of anxiety manifest in my throat. So difficulty swallowing, fear that you can't swallow or trying to swallow too early because like you're trying to control the -hmm. swallowing. And for me, that was to the point where I kept misfiring. And that's a very, for anyone that's ever experienced any sort of swallowing anxiety, that misfire is terrifying because I know the physiology, but the feeling that my body would send the jolt of fear every time that would happen would just further exacerbate. So like I'm sitting on my couch, I had to leave my class that I was in. I'm sitting on my couch. I'm like, dad, I don't feel good. And like, I knew this wasn't like, hospital don't feel good but that's just more my knowledge like I completely resonate with people who experience this and are like I need to call 911 right now this is there is something wrong but for me it was just like okay I know that I'm fine (laughs) um but I'm not fine like this was just like I was sipping water but I could barely drink it I had to keep pacing around the house eventually I had to go for a walk because I was so panicky and I just had to get moving Um, And that seemed to be something that really helped me moving forward, but it didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. make anything go away. It just dissipated some of that excess energy. So I wasn't in that constant panic. And truly, that's been my one true panic attack, I would say, was the first one. I luckily didn't experience as much panic, but I had like daily panic. Like every day I woke up feeling like I was panicking, but it would last all day. So it wasn't as severe as that first one, but it was just that chronic debilitating like every day you'd wake up and you just wish it to be gone and every day it wasn't <laughs> and then it was just like but that's how I realized I was also feeding it at the time but I just didn't know I had no idea mental health was just not something that anyone ever talked about my one friend was the only person I had that ever experienced anything to do with their mental health and that was only a few years ago and it's amazing how much even i've seen the changes in myself but also just in the community with mental health awareness like it is amazing what just even the past 2 years how we've progressed um yeah. but yes it was a lot it was a lot it was terrifying it was something that i look back on and i don't actually fear anymore it's like you know if that happened to me again it'd be like you know what come at me like come at me adrenaline come at right. me but but it's still uncomfortable. Like it is something where it's like, I acknowledge that it's uncomfortable. And I acknowledge that that would be a really difficult moment for me. But I also acknowledge that I know wholeheartedly now that I could get through that moment and it it would be totally fine. 
Yeah. And you've learned so much since then, right? And like mm-hmm. you had the one friend and thankfully you did and you had some knowledge and now, you know, you've gained so much more knowledge and that's something that helped, I know, both of us yeah. significantly along our recovery journeys is because like you if you just like can't help something that where you don't know you yeah you might know the basics of what's going on but like what is actually going to help me and like you said you know when we first started the conversation in the moment you just look for anything like a quick fix like what is something that I can take what is something that I can do like what is going to make this go away and unfortunately Mm -hmm. like especially with your scenario high functioning anxiety and perfectionism is something that's has built so much stress up over time and you've had all of this ingrained in you and it's not something that you can easily just you know bye right right. (laughs) go away like I now know what's going on I can fix this and like this is going to be fixed in a jiffy and unfortunately stress builds up and all of these things the unhealthy habits that you've learned they all take time to start to you know, build in new healthy habits that start to take away those unhealthy pathways that you've built up. Um, yes. So I'm curious, you said something, and I know a big part of high functioning anxiety is people on the outside wouldn't have any idea that you're struggling with it. And I think mm-hmm. this is where high functioning anxiety and perfectionism go hand in hand is I know too, from my experience, I was such a perfectionist that part of me didn't want anyone to know what I was struggling with because I wanted to keep up the facade that I had it all together. I could do it all. I didn't need anybody's help. Um, And I would get there sort of on my own mentality. And it was so unhealthy. And I didn't share it with really anyone, especially the really hard stuff, even with my mom. And, you know, my go-to at the time was my boyfriend, who's now my husband. I didn't even share things with them because – it wasn't just that I wanted to look like I had it all together. It was also, I felt a whole lot of shame with what Mm -hmm. I experienced on a daily basis. So I'm curious from your perspective, did you ever hide what you were struggling with and what did that look like for you? Oh yeah. I hid it from everyone. To be honest, Shannon, I hid it from myself. (laughs) Um, And I think that was the worst part. It wasn't like, sure, it was the people pleasing side of me that also goes hand in hand with perfectionism and high functioning anxiety and that fear of shame and guilt. But truly, that shame and guilt came from me. Like, I just didn't want to acknowledge that I could struggle, that this would and that this would lead me anywhere, because I just thought about it as all negative. I truly held such a stigma toward my own mental health and well being, because I was just so convinced that like, I had to keep going. Um, This was for me, like at the time where I was describing all the things I was doing, I was also pursuing medicine and I had to apply three times to get in. It wasn't just a one and done. So, you know, after the first time, it's like you're, you're worth your entire life. You fill out this big application and your worth is defined based off of a score that you get. And if the score is high enough than the average, you get the interview. If it's not, you don't. And the first time that I applied, I put my entire life on that piece of paper and my score was like less than half of what it should have been to get into medicine. And immediately when I saw that, I wasn't like pursuing medicine super hard at that point. I will say that like my high functioning anxiety really ramped up between like 22 and 24 because I'd applied once and then I was like, okay, like I have to, like, I have to try harder now, though I was already trying super hard, but my perfectionism really kicked in when it was like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. Like, look at this. I'm like, I'm nowhere near the score that I needed to get in, 
well, now I just have to take on more. Like it wasn't about how I felt. It wasn't about anything. And that's where that pushing away came from. It was so easy for me to say like, no, like, you know, I, I don't need to feel this right now. Like I had extremely bad, especially in my last semester testing anxiety. Like I feel like I almost probably was panicking every time I would write an exam because I put so much pressure on myself to do well. And every time I walked in, I'd walk out and like, I took a lot of my courses uh, with my partner. Now Um, we were actually, we were dating at the time, but I took a lot of courses with him because he was also in the same um, career stream Uh, though. Now he's in law school and he's absolutely in love with it. So I'm very happy for him. But at the time we were in these same courses together and he'd come out and he'd be like, how'd you feel? And I'd be like, that was terrible. Like worst case scenario. Like that was the worst thing in the world. He's like, Carly, like, I'm pretty sure you did really well. And I was like, no, like you probably did better than me. This is terrible. Like I, that was so hard. And then like, I get the top mark in the class or like the second top mark in the class, but I would still feel not good enough. I would be like, yeah, but like, you know, that one question from months ago. And that's how for me that high functioning anxiety like showed up. But I didn't think that that was abnormal because I was also surrounded by a group of people that were also like, oh my gosh, that was the worst exam in the world. And we all were like the top scorers of the class. And you're like, oh, Okay, we should really think about this. But it was just almost the culture. And I hate to say that because like hustle culture frustrates me so much at this point, but I still see it. I look at my colleagues, I still see it, and I still see them perpetuating high functioning anxiety. And I'm so glad that I am not currently in that place. But for me, I pushed it away from everyone. I didn't tell, like, my dad knew after I had the panic attack because I was at home, living at home at the time. Um, even my partner kind of knew that like I texted him being like, I really don't feel well the night of the panic attack, but no one knew what was leading up to that. Like nobody knew that, you know, two weeks prior in my car, I was driving to see my little sister through the big sisters program that we have here. And I felt like I couldn't breathe. I was just breathing through my nose and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I had to open a, a window because I was like gasping for air, but then it went away and I just didn't really think anything of it. But looking back on it, I was like, Oh, that might've been a warning sign that something was coming that maybe I should take care of myself. But like, I wasn't sharing the intimate details of that because I truly just suppressed that. I was like, Oh, this isn't important at all. Um, yeah. But it was. It truly was very important. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the societal influences. I think we're so influenced by the hustle culture mentality. And I know, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but it feels like it's been present for so long. And it was the same for me, like, go, go, go. It's that next thing you're always wanting to achieve the next thing. And I think that's a big part of high functioning anxiety and perfectionism is you're yeah. typically an achiever. You're you're typically yeah. a high performer and you've always been that way. Um, and so you're always looking to reach the next thing. And it's like along the way, there is no enjoyment. You're not having fun. You're seeing everything as a destination. Like I have to get to that place. I have to get to that place. And you work mm-hmm. your butt off and your brain is like, please give me a break. And that's when you get to that point where your brain's like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. And Mm -hmm. that can be a really scary place, especially when, you know, you experience panic. And if you haven't experienced it before, it can be really, really scary. And even if it's your 500th time experiencing a panic attack, it can be really scary. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about what are some things that started to help you to find balance and just start to change and shift things to not have such a go, go, go mentality and to to slow down? 
Yeah, this was like a very like resistant journey for me. And I love to sort of share a little bit about it because like I, as I mentioned to you, like I was looking for every quick fix in the book. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to fix this in five days because I have a few days off work and I was running a business. I was helping run a small business and like my boss wasn't able to take on because he wasn't a kinesiologist. So we had to like think about how we were going to navigate that. And it was just really, really difficult to navigate all of those things. So it was just one of those things where it was like, you know what, I need to fix this now. I need to fix it right now. Like I only have a few days, like I have clients to see, I have things to do. And to be completely honest, at the beginning, I just kept working. I definitely started to like, I didn't have any caffeine. I definitely would go on more walks and things like that. But I truly just kept working because unfortunately, like, I think a lot of people can resonate with the fact that we don't always have a choice. And it's really, really difficult to navigate something like this when you're like, but I have 500 things to do. Like I did, what I did do at first was I did stop all my volunteering. I just said like, Hey, not doing well, you know, and like, even then I had so much shame and guilt. Like truly when I had this panic attack, I was like, well, my life is over. I'm truly never going to get into medicine. Um, like, because, well, now I'm like screwed essentially. Like, it's just like immediately that perfectionism just came out in so many ways. Like it got worse when I had anxiety and not just because of the anxiety, but because I had tied my worth to my productivity for so long that it was like, oh crap. Like now it's going to be like 10 times worse. Like, cause it was just like, oh, I need to do this, that, this, that. And it was just, it was overwhelming. So what really started for me, the first few months were just really rocky. I wanted those quick fixes and they didn't come and it just created more resistance, more frustration. Every day I felt like I was staying by bear. And what was funny was I used to try to quantify how much I'd healed by a percentage. So like this happened in October, this happened in October. And like the next day, this is so tragic. This is going to be like my one story. So I am absolutely obsessed with the Jonas brothers since childhood. Um, And the (laughs) next day after my first panic attack was the Jonas brothers concert. My partner still took me and he was extremely supportive. We actually like stood for most of the concert, like out because I don't know about you, but like for me, especially with anxiety, like the bass on my chest felt so weird when it's like a big concert hall that it was just like a big trigger for me. So we literally watched the concert from like the the atrium hallway. Like we didn't actually, we weren't in our seats for very often just because like my mouth was dry. I literally felt like I was running from a bear, but nothing was going to stop me from going to that Jonas (laughs) Brothers concert. So that was important to me. So we did that. It was like my first little bit of exposure therapy that I truly didn't know that I was doing at the time. Um, That was a minor segue, but I had to think, I was like, oh my gosh, the Jonas Brothers concert. Um, (laughs) I love it. That was very important to me. But for me, it was like a few months of just like resistance, constant resistance. And it was like January. And I was like, I'm 90% better. And truly, when I look back, I was like 2% better, like probably not even 2% better because I was still resisting it. I thought that I was getting better, but I wasn't. And what really changed my perspective was I'm a big reader, but like I'd never really pursued. So I'd read a little bit of Brene Brown before panic anxiety I read the gifts of imperfection and I thought that was like such a beautiful book and it really spoke to me but I was also living in such a high functioning anxiety cycle that like nothing she could have said in that book albeit so beautiful would have like stopped me or got me to reflect on anything even though I thought it was beautiful um but I actually picked up Joshua Fletcher's panicking about panic book so I like was googling like again, like quick fixes, I was like Googling every anxiety (laughs) book in the in the world. Um, And I came across his book. And I was like, you know what, I like read the intro. And I was like, 
okay, like I like that you're kind of giving it to me in like little like digestible chunks that is like making it sound so much more or so much less sciencey and so much less. It's just like brass tacks. Like, what is this? And I loved it. So I read Panicking About Panic and then I read Practical About Panic. And like those books, I literally read, I think probably six times each because every time I would find this like new little bit. So like first, you know, like his little diagram about the umbrella and like, cause I was hyper-focusing on every bodily sensation possible, like everything going on in here was like, Ooh. uh, so I just was like, you know what, let's call it anxiety. Let's, let's just call it what it is because instead of freaking out about like my throat closing in, which isn't happening or anything like that, let's just call it anxiety. So that was like my biggest tip from him. And like that actually did help. Like it was like, it was just a little bit at start, but like, I would just try to be like, okay, I'm just going to call it anxiety and just see what happens here. And I did. Yeah. And it helped. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then he does talk a little bit about lifestyle. And I had like done my plethora of Dr. Googling at the time. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I can get a little bit more sleep. I can do that. Cause like truly I wasn't really like surviving very much on the sleep I was even getting, even if I got 10 hours of sleep. And then the issue was, is sometimes in the night I would wake up gasping for air for whatever reason. And then I couldn't get back to sleep. Um, and so much so that at that time, you know, I had to go to my doctor and be like, I think I need something like medication wise, maybe not long-term, but like, can I have, can I get something? So I ended up on Ativan for a little while because mm. I just couldn't control and I had no idea what was going on. And my body was so dysregulated that the only thing that it would at least calm me to a point where I could do anything was Ativan. And it was like, uh, some people find it very helpful to have that sort of pocket pill there if you need it, especially at first. I won't say like it became a comfort for me. Like I used to carry the Ativan. Like I literally used it for three days, but I would carry it with me for like months yeah. because I was just so attached to it. And that's when I started to realize that a lot of my patterns were like safety patterns. Like I created so many over the months that I was met resisting that, you know, I read Joshua's book and I was like, you know what? I think I need to change my approach here. Like, I think that this may, this resistance thing may not be working for me. Um, I don't feel that much better. And at the time, so I, my panic was in, uh, my panic attack was in October. And then in December, I found out I got my medical school interview. And then February was the interview. And then I got in in May. So like all of this was happening while I was like, my life was still moving forward, but I was not feeling any better. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I knew I had to change my trajectory. So lifestyle was huge for me and truly practicing imperfect acceptance. And another thing that really helped was I also picked up. So along with panicking about panic, I also picked up Kristen Neff's books on self-compassion. And that's when the true healing started because I didn't really realize how incompassionate I was to myself until I read her books. And I was like, wait, people talk to themselves like this. Like people don't just like, like tell themselves mean things all the time. Like, cause that's, that's what's going on up here. Like I literally thought that I had like failed. And then I was convinced that like everyone knew that I, they could see my anxiety. Like, you know, I did my medical school interview, literally like freaking out. Like I pretty sure I did the entire interview panicking because yeah. I just like, I was in such an acute dysregulation of my nervous system at the time that like, there was no way I could be calm. Like, I didn't even know what calm was like to the point where like, I had like a, a face rash that had come from stress. Like I had stress eczema on my face that I had to cover up for this interview. And like, 
it was just like wild. And I was so convinced that everyone could see me. And I was like, no one's going to like me. Like, you know, I, I look anxious. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like looking back on it, I was like, this is silly. And then they, they let me in because like, I was a very strong candidate. And like, I love chatting, I love communicating and like it shined through. But like, truly internally, I was like, you're trash, like, you're 100% <laughs> not going to do this. And it was just like, I just thought everyone talked to themselves like that. And then mm-hmm. I read Kristen Neff's book. And I was like, Oh, all right, maybe people shouldn't talk to themselves like that. And then that's when I started to dabble in that self-compassion and just starting to recognize when that inner critic was there and be like, Mm. oh, that's not me. Like that, that a hundred percent isn't me. That's just what I've been, my like neural circuitry has been trained to do because I've just perpetuated this perfectionism and this high functioning nature for so long. And to be honest, it even seeped into my anxiety recovery. It a hundred percent was like, I wanted to perfect anxiety for those first few months especially when I got in in May, I was like, well, I'm going to be healed by September because if I'm not, then this is terrible. And like, I went so perfectionist into it that like, I had to stop. Like I had to be like, Carly, like, no, like this is not how we do this because it wasn't, it wasn't making it better. If anything, it was putting pressure on me that I didn't need that would make me more stressed out. That would make me more anxious at the time. And then it would just kind of keep this cycle going. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it is, it, it's like, you know, all these things, right, too, yeah. internally, but you just don't, I know so many times, like I would sit down in my therapist's office and she would say something to me like, you know, you have to be more kind to yourself, Shannon. And I know I would sit there and literally roll my eyes because I would be like, look, lady, that yeah. is not the thing that is going to get rid of panic attacks. Like, yes. what the heck is going to do it? And you need to stop teaching me these little silly things, but it was Mm. the little little silly things that actually helped me the most. And that's the hardest part I think about recovery is like, you're Mm. looking for, you know, a pill or a thing and you turn to really unhealthy behaviors, like safety objects um, and safety behaviors. And it's Mm -hmm. just because you're, you're so desperate. It feels so terrible and you're trying to get rid of it, but it truly is. Self-compassion goes such a long way. lifestyle changes go such a long way. Like your sleep Mm -hmm. is so, so important. And that was something consistently for me too. Back burner, like I was getting, you know, four to five hours of sleep at night and I was staying up doing homework while drinking wine at midnight. And (laughs) I was like, what was I doing? I mean, anyone could have told me that was the furthest from the best choice for me. But at the time, you know, I was just on that that hamster wheel and I kept going. Yeah. And and I'm so glad that you mentioned. So Carly was talking about Josh, uh, Anxiety Josh on Instagram, yeah. Josh's um, books. And they're great because I think a big part for him is he's been through it. So yeah. now he's, you know, the, a therapist, but he's also been through it. And his approach is simplistic and very practical and explaining things in a very simple way. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love too about your journey and your account and what you share is that you also try to keep it really simple and just provide yeah. like the tips that you know have worked for you. And mm-hmm. oftentimes it is the stuff that we roll our eyes at and we think this is not going to be the thing that helps me. <laughs> yes. But it is. So I so appreciate you coming on, Carly. It's mm-hmm. been such a fun conversation. Um, if people want to find you and connect with you, mm-hmm. where can they find you? Yeah, I definitely think the easiest way is just head on to Healing the Anxious Mind on Instagram. And like, I am always open to like 
I'll see DMs or like if you there's email contacts, there's lots of things in my little link tree thing that I'm dabbling in currently that always and then I also have I'm starting up a mailing list, actually, like a newsletter sort of thing that goes out every month where I just share a little bit more in depth. Sometimes that Instagram caption limit is so difficult to work in. So (laughs) I decided to do a little bit of an email blast that I'll just send out probably monthly or bi-monthly. It just depends on my schedule. And I'm going to be starting to share that. So if that's something that interests you to head on over and I will be sharing some tips that I found helpful. Yeah, I love that so much. Keep raising the awareness and keep sharing what helped you. And I know personally, and I know some of my listeners would love, love to hear and see more about your journey in medical school because I think it's so interesting now to hear, you know, where you were and where you are now and just Mm -hmm. being able to better recognize like what's helped you to get here and to find that better balance and how are you currently balancing medical school with an Instagram account and I'm sure many other things that you have on your plate. So I am just very grateful that you share everything that you do and keep doing Mm -hmm. such amazing work. Oh, thank you so much, Shannon. I really appreciate it. And it's been lovely to come on. Thank you for inviting me. It's great. I love that you created. I was so jazzed when you reached out to me because you are someone (laughs) that I've looked up to for a long time and your posts so resonate with Uh, what I experienced, especially just with like panic and just that acceptance piece you really focus on that like acceptance and that inner critic doesn't always have to be negative and I love that you bring that in because there's always that like happy voice on the other shoulder too that's like you know what no we're gonna be fine like it'll be fine and it truly (laughs) will be fine for anyone struggling it will be fine sure it's those little silly things and it may not seem like you're making any progress but when you look back truly when you zoom out you're making a lot more progress than you think you are It's just that in that acute moment of struggle, that little tiny dip in your large sort of slowly upward turning curve, that's Mm -hmm. where you feel upset. That's where it's like, oh, crap, like not this again. And I still feel that way sometimes, but you will get better. It is possible to heal. Well, that is the absolute best note to end on. Thank you again, Carly. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Healthy Push. If you want more, head on over to ahealthypush.com for the show notes and lots more tips, tools, and inspiration that will support your recovery. And if you're hoping for me to cover a certain topic, be sure to join my Instagram community at A Healthy Push and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next.